After spending 30 years in finance, Gary Fleming made the jump to open up his own shop, Virgil's Plate, in the Erie, Pennsylvania. About a mile from downtown Erie. Yep. There you go. Uh, Virgil's Plate, which is uh, one of my favorite shop stories that you'll all hear about, is known for their custom square pies where customers can create such unique combinations, uh, which we'll talk more about. And today we'll discuss how having allies in the community, in the pizza community especially, can inspire growth and how to set up your business in a way that's uh, you know going to be successful. So welcome to How You Slice It, Gary. Uh, really excited for this conversation. And for everyone who's listening, Gary has visited Slice at our office, uh, has spent time with our team, with myself, and looking forward to having you back here in person in the near future. Uh, but today you're joining us from uh, from Erie. Yeah, here in the shop. First of all, thank you so much. I'm uh, really excited to have the opportunity to visit with you. I, I love to visit the home office. I think that's um, a throwback to my days in the insurance business. We were often visiting. I put faces with, you know, actual faces with names. Back then, we didn't have the video even, so that was a, even a bigger deal. But uh, <laughs> just uh, great to be there and see the team and see the growth even from one visit to the next. You know, the, the place filling up as it has. So, you know. Yeah, it was great. And then they're all here, hopefully working, uh, working their best for you. Uh, you know, just for context, I think uh, one thing that I really can't stress enough to partners is that our team of about 900 people globally, they're all here at the service of an independent shop. It's, as I've said to you in the past, I think when we originally met, it's like you as a pizzeria owner immediately get access to 900 incredibly smart people to work on your behalf. And I know there's always opportunities to be better, but I'm pretty proud of the, you know, the, the, the work that we do. And um, hopefully, hopefully you agree. Yeah. Walk us through how you go from finance to pizza. Like, how did, how is that transition? I, I usually start off that story by saying I fell and hit my head or something like that. But um, <laughs> I, I think it really, you know, it's kind of funny how much a role New York plays and everything, but I think it actually tracks back to even back, you know, when um, 9-11 hit, I was in the investment business. I remember where I was. Um, I was always a math guy. So, you know, my father was in the investment business. So it was kind of a natural track for me. And, um, but I remember when that happened and my first thought being, oh my God, my, all my clients accounts, what's going to happen. And, and the, the complete lack of any, you know, nothing you could do obviously at that moment. And I'd always had that feeling about, you know, I, I had my degrees in economics, I had other credentials for investments and insurance, but you know, the, the market goes up and down and sideways, you know, and, and I always, I, I never really cared a lot for that. I mean, so I think, um, I was looking for something else. I gravitated toward the tech side of things. I ran the tech for our office and for other agents, our other offices. And I actually, my last several years, did more of that than I did by way of new clients. I was you know, running that. And um, I had a lot of conversations with a friend of mine about how there wasn't a lot of good pizza in Erie, or at least nobody used to be squares back in the day like we do, but they, they'd all gone away. And, you know, from that conversation and, and just the losing interest, I guess, in the um, financial services, started me on a path toward opening Virgil's. Um, I'm not sure I even realized at that point, but I just um, started making dough at home, you know, a lot, a lot of dough. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think I, like a lot of new people in the business, I found some resources. Uh, Al Grande, you know, it, it kind of blew my mind. There's a guy, uh, pizzatherapy.com in Hawaii, making his living in the pizza business online. And, uh, some of the other, you know, couple of resources, but mostly I just, it was trial and error, trial and error. And, um Ultimately, it was a friend of mine that wanted to open a shop back in the Pittsburgh area where I was working in the investment business at the time. And I agreed to um, 
jump on board just to help him figure it out, even though I had no idea what I was doing, no background, none. And um, there was a little apartment upstairs at that shop. And so my deal was I get the apartment, I'll come and help you. And I, I started making, um, you know, working toward opening that shop and coming downstairs at four in the morning and doing dough, putting on my suit, going to the office. And then after the office, going back and um, slinging pizza. So it was, um, you know, baptism by fire to a certain degree. <laughs> yes, I bet. Uh, but I liked it. I mean, I, I liked it. I Looking back at the pizza I made then compared to now, um, it's a lot better now, a lot more consistent. I really don't even know how we did it. It wasn't until later I found, became aware of how much resource there really is. I mean, really good resource in the pizza industry for everything. Uh, I think I thought all this, all the recipes were secret. Everybody's tearing labels off cans and hiding things because that was my impression of pizza from my hometown shop. But then you realize you find people like Scott Wiener, um, who was probably played the biggest part in me finding my way into the pizza community. And, and, you know, yourself and Slice and, and these places that bring so many people together. And, um, you know, here I am 10 years later sitting in my shop wondering how it happened a little bit as well, to be honest with you. So the, the original shop you said is was in Pittsburgh. How did you open up the shop in Erie? Yeah, the shop in Pittsburgh was just um, more of seeing if it was something I could do. And if I wanted to do it, I wasn't in any ownership position there. I was just agreed to come in and I got the opportunity to test drive and see if I could do it if I wanted to do it. Um, and I did it anyway. So I separated from that relationship and that place actually closed uh, mm -hmm. not long after. Something I've learned and something I'm dealing with, you know, to a certain degree right now is if you're going to partner with anyone on any level, ideally make it a pizza person. It makes such a difference. And, you know, I think that probably carries over the slice as well. You're a, you're a pizza company. You, you get it. And I know you personally understand it from your family and, and obviously all the shops in, in New York all over that you deal with. But um, he was an, he's an accountant by trade. Far as I know, he still is. He had no real interest in the food, no real interest in the experience. It was all about dollars in and dollars out. Mm -hmm. And he, he and I uh, separated fairly quickly after that. And like I said, he closed, which didn't surprise me. Got it. And um, I came back to Erie and uh, there was a bakery for sale with some equipment in it, some old equipment. And we had a couple bucks. My, my, my wife and I looked at it and um, it would have been late 2010 that I started getting involved in Pittsburgh and that place opened in early 2011. So it was um, late 2011 that I signed a lease and bought this equipment from this bakery, not having any idea once again what I was doing. And um, we opened up in April of 2012 at a different location. And then two years later, we, we bought a building uh, a few miles away, renovated it, and that's where we are now. So, Congratulations. Do you remember uh, the first day you opened up? What were the emotions going through uh, the day you first opened the door and like customers start showing up? Well, when I first opened the shop in the Pittsburgh area, we were very, very busy. Mm -hmm. And I think what I've learned is, you know, that style of pizza, the square cuts, the full tray style of pizza um, is very familiar in that area. There's a number of shops that do it. So we were, we were slammed. I mean, I don't, I, I really, I honestly got my first day, my first day cooking pizza professionally, we'll say. Um, I managed to, you know, take the trays out of the oven, put them on the hot table, move the tray away. And then without thinking, I leaned my arm on the same table and badly burned my whole forearm. Oh. So that, that was about a half an hour into the service. <laughs> and, um, you know, you wrapped it up, put a shirt on, kept going. So that being said, very different. You know, we had a very busy month that first month. Fast forward, come to Erie, I opened up my first day, and um, it's crickets pretty much. Mm. Um, I didn't have a big marketing budget or much at all. I think I just thought people were going to find me. I'm not sure why I did. Uh, so it was um, it was very quiet. For I worked primarily by myself, almost exclusively for quite a while. I mean, the first 
you know, maybe a year even. I mean, it was a very slow launch. And I'm not sure why I kept at it, to be honest with you, because financially it wasn't making any sense. But I just kept making pizza and just, you know, back then all I did based on the style of the shop I grew up with back in uh, Pittsburgh, a place called Police Station Pizza. It's been around for 60 plus years. And all they do is is trays, uh, 24 cut trays. And you can go in and get any number of cuts you want and top it whatever you want. And that's all. I mean, you might be able to get a coat once in a while. In fairness, new owners, uh, after the family's owned it for 60 some years, new owners are in there now the last year. So I haven't been there, but they may have expanded. But up until recently, not even I know they take credit cards. I didn't even take credit cards. So that's what I modeled after. And that's all I did initially. You know, so many operators who want to turn their passion into a business or want to provide for their families, want to be in control of their own destiny, open up a shop. And year one is by far the most difficult. And it's probably the time frame where there's the highest failure rate. I mean, think about how many shops we see where within one year, the brand or the ownership changes. And it's like a revolving door. The next yeah. year, same thing happens. Question I'm getting to is, what I've seen is the folks who can find a way to overcome that first year or just remain alive through that first year end up eventually finding significant success. I know you kind of mentioned that you don't know why you kept going, but why did you keep going? And then what was the turning point? You know, I think at that point, I just... I had invested, you know, not, I mean, relatively small amount of money compared to what it costs to open, you know, shops in bigger areas, um, used equipment, very little of it, very simple. I, I just, but, you know, that was the plan. And I, and I knew going in, it wasn't the kind of thing you could go into and jump out in a few months. It was going to take time. I had a little bit of um, some residual income from my previous life. Otherwise, honestly, if I was dependent entirely on the income of the shop, I, I wouldn't have made it mm. um, or I, I would have had to have done something else. I mean, it, it would have been... It just wouldn't happen. So I stayed there and I focused on trying to get better on, you know, with my pizza and my social media. I mean, I spent a lot of time at the keyboard uh, feeling like uh, the Maytag repairman, which you may remember or may yeah. not. Yep. You know, another another great day in the shop, you know, and, um, and just kept going and tried to at least like the shop that I grew up with. We didn't open until they don't open until five. Uh, I opened like at three. So I was only open for, for only for dinner. And since it was just me, I was only open initially five days a week. So based on the relatively low volume, I was able to handle it. I think a, the first turning point was when there was a an informal uh, poll or a contest that one of the local newspapers ran, you know, your favorite pizza shop. And I think by virtue of I did have some good supporters then. And also my social media game was, I think, pretty strong. Uh, we came in at the top of that list. And that next week, I mean... I went for myself to, I had one other person who would come in and help me from time to time. And I hired somebody else literally on the fly. And he walked in, I literally put him on the line and just said, build pizza. Because for me, we got very busy. And I thought, wow, now, now this is it. The faucet is on, so to speak. And then you realize, no, not necessarily. You know what I mean? So, but that to give me a little bit of a, of a feel for some of the potential. I mean, still small numbers by virtue of what we do now or what most places do, but very eye opening. And then, um, when we opened our first day here in the new shop, once again, by my measure then, really busy. We were running out of stuff. The kitchen was a disaster area. I mean, when we were done, we felt like we were beat. And really, once again, I mean, that night, what we did would be a, a very average, probably medium to slow night now. So we've gotten a lot better at it. But the turning points are when I would see those surges, you know, and be like, oh, okay, what did I do? How, where did that come from? Yep. And then the feedback. We're very, um, so very blessed. But uh, we've got really good reviews, quite a few of them across the board. And 
Um, I think that's part of a, a big, that's my primary, virtually my only advertising is, is my social media pages. So, and, and I would say the function of time. So, you know, I spent so much time with different pizza shop owners and to be quite honest, any business owner, this was also the case with slice in the early days, your ability to survive over a long period of time is what allowed your customer base over time to compound. And very few people think about this phenomenon, which is if you could just continue to stay in business, you know, as one of my mentors said, hey, why do businesses die? And, you know, the lone answer is because the person stopped trying. For those who are able to keep going and find ways to find those boosts, those like surges, over time, what happens is every single week, more new customers interact with your shop. And every single week, a segment of those customers, a part of them will become lifetime customers. And so next week, while you get some more new customers, your loyal base is being built gradually every single week, every single yeah, month. For sure. And so because you're now 10 years in, your base of return loyal customers has reached a certain scale because of your product and you're taking back that feedback to the point where you're one of the top 10 restaurants in Erie. So you know, it's a good segue. Tell me how, how that came to be. Um, you know, I, I think a couple of things. I think, like I said, I have spent a lot of time doing you know, on, on social media. Facebook primarily, I'm an old dude, so that's, that's where I started and that's where most of my social media is. Um, you know, word of mouth is very strong. And, and I think in fairness, you know, because we have some great restaurants in Erie, some good friends, um, a very simple menu, you know, also makes it, less likely that you can screw something up. You know, so, you know, I, I think in fairness, you know, if you're judging me, so to speak, ranking against a full service uh, restaurant, they've got a lot more potential points that people might pick on. So I think that also helps. But I think, that, you know, very consistent. Um, I'm always here. I'm my, you know, I have a small staff. We know most of our customers. And what you said is really ringing true that that time to build because if you go back once again to, to police station pizza in Ambridge PA and they're there 60 plus years, there's generations and um, they don't advertise. They didn't used to ever take credit cards, didn't deliver, didn't open till five. I mean, don't have fryers, don't do one thing, square pizza, but they sell out constantly because they've got 60 plus years now of, of compounding. So for sure, that's a, a huge advantage over when I see some of the newer shops that have opened and you realize looking back what it takes to overcome that. And time is, I mean, obviously you can accelerate it and hopefully with, with technology, but there's no substitute for time and that consistency to a certain degree, I feel like. And, and, and that brings me to a, a question that I'd love for you to share with others. The answer is, uh, what, did you, what do you wish you knew when you first started? You know, so when you look back, what would you have done differently or wish you knew that would have helped you reach success sooner or increase the probability of success? I wish, and you know, I go, and I go through this all the time because I've always been a tech person. I've always been a big Google search person, but I think it was my mindset that the pizza I was after, so to speak, was a secret and there was no way to discover it. You just, that I wish I had a clue. I wish I knew Scott Wiener when I started. I wish, um, I wish I had a, I had an idea that there was really, I mean, the top, you know, I've had opportunity to talk with a lot of the, the top people in the industry um, and, you know, on the pizza making side. And um, they're also open and giving and, you know, pick up a copy of the Pizza Bible, pick up Anthony Falco's book, Pizzas Are, pick up, you know, talk to John Arena for 10 minutes, you know, and, and um, I wish I would have known because I spent a lot of time trial and error and, you know, some pages I did find 
And, um, you know, I was sitting with John Arena in Vegas at a, um, a Slice Out Hunger event, actually. Mm-hmm. And, and we were talking about that, how back in the day, you know, the secret recipes and nobody told anybody. And when you realize there's only a handful of ingredients, I remember I said to him, I don't really think there's so much secret recipes as there are recipes that we keep secret. Because if you put them all out on the table, I'm pretty sure that all due respect to grandmas everywhere, but a lot of grandma's meatballs might look more the same than different. And I think pizza's the same way. So I, I wish I would have discovered the resources that I did uh, after my first trip to Slice Out Hunger uh, in 2017, you know, which is when I, I think, when I really feel like I started to get into the pizza industry. Even after, even though I'd been selling pizza for several years at that point, I, I didn't feel that sense of um, resource and community that I know there is now. Without a doubt, and I've, I've seen the same thing, same names you mentioned, other folks in the industry who um, have always been open to providing feedback. All it takes is going and reaching out and asking. And you've mentioned having access to these great operators and pizza community icons. Some advice for folks who may be hesitating or maybe they don't have the time. How did you make time to to focus on that part of the business, given that you also have to run the shop? What, what's some advice in terms of how folks can access that pizza community? Well, I think the podcasts that are out there, you know, uh, How You Slice It and um, some of the other ones, uh, What's Good Dough with iDrift, uh, anything that Scott puts up, I watch. <laughs> I mean, just because he, you know, I, like, when, well, when you did your first podcast with him, I don't, as far as all around knowledge of all things pizza, I don't know that there is anybody any better. Agreed. You know? and, Agreed. Yeah. And, and now that I see he's winning in competitions on TV and that, so, um, you know, Scott knows what he's talking about and he's just the most, you know, generous, you know, authentic person I've probably ever met. I mean, and, and like, once again, the people that I'm meeting in the industry. So as far as finding time, um, I think you have to utilize online. You know, when I'm making dough in the morning, I'm usually watching podcasts or listening to something, you know, YouTube videos. I mean, there's endless content and um, even bad content isn't, you know, is helpful sometimes to see people do things that maybe you shouldn't do. But I, I think don't be afraid to ask. I mean, I've, once again, Scott being the primary where it started, but, you know, you know, Roberto at Caste, when I come to New York, I have to always go to Caste and, and stop there and, you know, interesting side story. Roberto started in the Pittsburgh area when he came from Italy, and he was hmm. for seven years, I guess, a couple of few miles up the road from my office. And I had I had no idea. My my wife was not a big pizza fan, and we didn't you know go out for pizza together really ever. Um, and I don't know how I missed it, but I like to tease him that he's a Pittsburgh guy. You know, so <laughs> but I, I think don't be afraid to ask. Everybody um, is very generous with their time, and um, you know. I had some questions about yeast and Derek Sanchez. I messaged Derek Sanchez on Facebook and two minutes later, you know, he's getting back to me. The people that are really into it also love to talk about it as it happens on average, you know. So I think just you know, as far as making time, you have to use the technology. There's, I've been fortunate, you know, and I guess I would also say events, Pizza Expo. You know, when I went to Atlantic City was the first expo event I went to and then I went to Vegas. I mean, that's game changing, just the energy and the people and things you didn't, I had never thought of even, but that's a great opportunity to make connections for sure. So that, I think this, you know, technology is great and get in touch, keep in touch. But if you have an opportunity to go to an expo, I think everybody in the pizza business should go. Those are some really great, great recommendations. You've uh, hinted at this square pizza multiple times and I'm holding back the question on purpose, but let's dive into the product. Describe the, the Virgil plate, famous square pizza and 
what makes it special and talk a little bit about how customers can customize it and all that good stuff. Well, when we first started, you know, I bake 24 cut trays. So they're four inch squares, 24 to a full tray. And when we first started, once again, kind of echoing what I knew from home, you could order any number of cuts you wanted and you could top them in any combination. And back then, because trying to, you know, I mean, I had people that would order a 12 cut pizza, so 12 four inch squares, and in one case, actually ordered every one different. So that of itself is not such a, as it sounds, it's a little crazy, but <laughs> with toppings, it's not as bad. But, you know, we also do several pizzas that have different bases and different things. So a lot of the pizzas we do, for example, police station pizza would never do. So that model didn't really fit. The other thing, the way they bake is the majority of their toppings go on after the bake. The, the primary bake is cheese only. Mm. And then they put on even pepperonis added cold and just warms. It's a, it's a different thing. And, um, so you would never go there and order three, four, five toppings on a pizza because they're, you'd have to request it baked on, which they'll right. do, but their, their go-to is after the bake. So that's how I started, but I fairly, you know, fairly quickly realized I had to adjust that model. People in Erie had not been exposed to that at all. It was not working out well. So I, I changed that up. So, and then it was actually wasn't until COVID came in. We did simplify our menu where now instead of any number of squares, you can still order as few as four. And you can still top them half and half, two and two. So you can order as few as, you know, get variety, two of each. But we did simplify it that far. But it's a, um, it, you know, we make our, our own dough in-house. We use, you know, we use caputo flour and, you know, and corda oil. We use all the good stuff. Once again, those vendors probably found me as much as I found them. You know, Orlando Foods, one, one of their sales guys walked in one day and said, hey, have you ever heard of caputo? You know, sent me some flour. And uh, Stanislaus, their salesperson came out when I first opened back in Pittsburgh and we opened up 10 cases of tomato products and sampled and, you know, just on and on and on. I came up with my process based on what I knew about police station. I knew, you know, that they used a dough sheeter for their product. Uh, I know they used the old cold steel pan, cold rolled steel pan. So I found a bunch of those used at an old donut bakery in Pittsburgh and went and got those. And it's, um, I think it finds its, its foundation in the old forge style. I suspect that that's where the recipe came from. Because there's a lot of similarities as far as how it's done. That being said, I think mine is probably fairly different in texture than that. But um, you have a lot of options for how you top them. Now, we've, we've, we've expanded beyond squares. We do a lot more than that, but that is still our main event. And I'm still pretty much the only one that does the shelves in the shop, which is something I need to address, okay. quite frankly. I'm but, getting hungry. Yeah. It's making, well, making me hungry. Um, speaking of uh, Virgil's plate, I, again, want to get in, into the four walls of the shop. How would one of your best customers describe Virgil's plate? Well, since we actually do live upstairs, I think they would say it is like coming into our house. Um, you know, I love that. we have a lot of, a lot of our customers are just, have become good friends. Um, if they're not going to be here a certain week, they'll let us know they're going to be out of town. Uh, we notice, you know, like I said, we're, 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 a, we're a small shop, you know, so it's, you know, I think they would just say it feels comfortable and it feels, and it feels like, like home. Um, and, that, and that's, I always wanted to be, you know, a neighborhood pizza joint. That's what, you know, that we're in a neighborhood here on a corner. There's a beer distributor across the street, but otherwise there's nothing but how it's all residential. Um, the building was built in 1872 and it was a train wreck when we got it and we, we brought it back to life. So that's special. It is. It is. And uh, so walk me a little bit through. I see some swag in the back there. Uh, are you selling <laughs> swag? Is that your uniform? What do we, what do we have from Virgil's plate? Well, we sell, that's a hat, one of our trucker hats. We sell, a few, we don't sell a lot of merch, but I mean, people come in more in the summer once again when we have people traveling. And then that's our standard 
uh, uniform Virgil's T-shirt hanging there. So had to put it up since we got the Slice logo on there for you. So Oh, that's amazing. We had to get that in shot. So merch is not a, once again, could it be something bigger? I need more time. Mm. We were headed toward an expansion in March 2020. Literally had started demo on a property adjacent next door that we have. And, you know, COVID rolled in, obviously, mm. and changed the game. And so that really, you know, I haven't got back. I'm still running on reduced hours. You know, all the challenges you've heard, employees. And then some of my own, you know, I've, as you know, I've got some um, getting a little knee work done coming up here in a few days. Mm-hmm. And that, so this year has been a little bit you know, different in, uh, by way of challenge. But um, nothing you can't overcome. No, it's all, no, it's all, it's all, it's all overcomable. Yeah. yeah. Just keep on, press on. That's why press on. Yeah. You know? What is, uh, what is the future for Virgil's plate? What's, what's the vision? Let's fast forward five years from now. Well, I mean, I think even ever since I found the Roman style of pizza, uh, would have been an expo probably 2018, uh, uh, Massimiliano Saiva, he's, you know, to me, the name in that I trained with actually last Thanksgiving week, I was in New York and trained with, um, with him and Rob uh, out of um, Palio in Mineola. They're, that's mm-hmm. the North American headquarters, I think, for ASR Pizza Lab. There was a training there this weekend that my master plan was to go there and do another training and be with you, but the knee let me down. When I, I'm 10 years in. Um, I'm, I'm a little frustrated that I'm not quite at the scale that we you know, wanted to be, certainly not where I think we would have ended up. We were going to end up with about 50 seats. Uh, we're a small place now. We, I don't do any dining now, but prior to COVID, we did you know, 15 to 20 seats. Planning on bringing a little beer and wine, what have you. So going forward, you know, the plan, I'm still not sure about dining. Uh be honest with you, once again, when COVID first rolled in, I thought, forget it. I'm never going down that road again. But obviously, you know, times change. You settle down a little bit. But the the slice shop, you know, concept, so to speak, the grab and go, including the Roman style that I'm really drawn to, is, is kind of where I see Virgil's going in the future. Um, I'm never going to give up the squares. That would be kind of crazy. That's our signature. And um, I mean, I do a lot of other, you know, we do some New York styles and some other Roman styles and our own version of a Detroit. And I got way more carried away than I ever expected to. But um, I really feel like Ro- the Roman style, in my opinion, is a big deal. And I think it's going to be a bigger deal. And I'm, I'm really drawn to that. So that's, I see Virgil's, you know, like I said, and plus it's square as well. So when I first started, I was only going to do squares. I, there was going to be nothing else. And so I do round pizzas now too. It's just kind of sacrilegious, but... I will tell you uh, one thing that's always served me well is, and others that I've spoken to is stay true to who you are at the core and what you love, and you'll you'll be in, in a great place. And uh, certainly, I think the industry is moving in a direction where uh, dine-in is less uh, of a focus and smaller format, takeout and delivery first, digital first uh, operations where you can connect with the customer directly, uh, you know, as often as possible without having to mail out menus and things like that. Those are the models that are proving out to be the most successful. As long as the product is authentic, which obviously you're one of the most authentic uh, people and uh, and pizza makers in the world and consistent, which also applies to you. So uh, hopefully that's helpful, but that's uh, that's an exciting future. And I'm, uh, I'm excited for you. I was just telling our team here, how special it is to have a place where you run a shop downstairs, you live upstairs, you, you're sort of an anchor of the town. It's uh, it's pretty cool. We like it. I like it a lot. For me, it's super convenient. You know, I can come down in the morning and start some dough. And if I want, pop it back upstairs and have a cup of coffee and what have you. Amazing. But um, yeah, I, I, it's it's cool. Everybody in the neighborhood knows, you know, Virgil and, and my wife, they, they call Mrs. Virgil. <laughs> so, you know, she, she, she's out walking our dog or what have you. I mean, everybody knows her. So 
there is something and, and very supportive in that regard. So there's something that makes it, you know, different than your average job, I guess, so to speak, you know, the pizza guy. So. Absolutely. Gary, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate your partnership in so many ways. By the way, also for the for the listeners, Gary, one of my favorite parts about our relationship is the way Gary challenges us. Uh, so keep, <laughs> keep doing that, please. And uh, hopefully we can get together in person next time you're in New York. That would be, yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah, and things have been going exceptionally well on the challenge part. So thank I you. appreciate that. And I appreciate you guys and everything you do. I look forward to seeing you again soon. And, and once again, thank you for this opportunity. It's been fun. Of course. Have a good one. 